Welcome to the Old School Podcast with Professor Andrew Stone. It's been a while. I think ever since uh, with the beginning of August. But we are back and we're here to review the Finger Poke of Doom. Uh, many fans look at this as possibly the reason, you know, or the start of the reason why WCW went out of business. But we may have some uh, different views Especially when we, at the end of the show, we'll also read the comment selection on the page and see what the fans and everybody else thought about it. We'll also get me and Professor Stone's views on the whole matter and uh, and the whole shit show. But uh, in theory, this may have worked. But let's let's go ahead and start out with the show, Andrew Stone. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm great, Trey. I hope you're doing good. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, other than having to watch this show, um, this show was a little no, bit boy, hard I get it. And I was a big Nitro fan at the time. Let's let's uh, let's set the stage a little bit. Okay, okay so uh, '98. I think at some point, I would almost say around summertime, maybe towards the end of the summer, things started to get a little bit repetitive for WCW. Yes, they did. Um, and, you know, you're, you're probably listening to this and you're like, well, that's just your opinion, Trey. But the ratings started to show. Um, WWE started catching fire with Stone Cold, The Rock, the entire Attitude Era. And they were getting away with a lot more than WCW could get away with because of standards and practices. Um, well, again, like I said, it was getting stale. They actually got rid of Kevin Sullivan as their booker and named Kevin Nash as head booker while he was still a performer. So this kind of this kind of uh, didn't go over too well in the locker room uh, from every report that I've read. Uh, this is I don't know. How do you feel about wrestlers becoming bookers, Andrew? Well, while they're still performers. And I, th- I think that's tough because it, you know, perception, as the old saying goes, perception is reality. And especially with somebody like Kevin Nash, true or not, as a fan, as, as a 36-year-old, as a you know, I was in my mid-30s during this time when the NWO came about, and I was watching Nitro every week. And Nash was already coming across as... It was all about his ego. Mm-hmm. Again, whether that's true or not, well, the internet sitting there, was sitting there every Monday night. Knew how these guys were, right? Uh, with, with dirt sheets and the internet. So, as for me, I was around fifteen years old, right? Um, or I was about to turn fifteen. Uh, so, as a fan. This is all new to me. I'm able to kind of see what's going on behind the scenes because of the internet at AOL. I don't know if y'all, if you youngsters remember AOL. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole dialogue thing. But man, it was super exciting. It was, it was one of the first things I really got into besides porn. Um, as a, as a young person. Some things go without saying though. I mean, come on. You got, so you got porn at your fingertips, uh, so to speak, and you've got, um, you've, you've got all this inside information you can look up without having to pay a fee to get it on the dirt sheets. It's right there on the internet. So you're reading about the politics between Hogan and Nash and both guys, um, you know, 
I can almost say, you know, this isn't even opinion. Both guys had huge egos. Um, both guys uh, didn't really care to put too many people over, in my view. As long as they got over, you know, that's all that kind of really mattered. So when you have two big egos like that, and right. you have Hogan with his creative control, um, does not make for a good recipe. I'll just say that. So as a 15-year-old fan, I'm reading about this, and I'm already getting sick of Hogan constantly being in the spotlight. I was sick of Hogan by then. Right. I, I, I was I was kind of getting sick of the NWO. Everything on the other channel, uh, Raw, seemed fresh. It seemed new. Uh, it intrigued me as a fan. It renewed my interest in WWE and WCW. Other than some of the undercard, which I you know I, I love, they had the best mid card probably of any company in wrestling history, in my opinion, when you have an Eddie Guerrero, a Chris Benoit, a Perry Saturn, um, I'm not argue with that. Booker T, uh, you know, the list just goes on and on. But at the same time, I was ready for those guys to be elevated. And it was just the same guys in the picture. You know, Bill Goldberg was the only guy out of all those guys that kind of just broke the glass ceiling and reached the top tier and was in the main event. And I wasn't a Goldberg hater at the time. I really wasn't. Oh God, no. No, I, I mean I dug it. I dug. Uh, I dug him. You know, squashing people, and I, and I love the fact that he beat Hogan at the Georgia Dome. And so, <clears throat> just to set everything, we're fresh off the heels of Starcade '98. Right. And we actually start the show off with a video package of Goldberg and Kevin Nash. And the events that happened at Starcade, where Goldberg was tased by Scott Hall. Right. Of course, Nash, on the other hand, is in story, he's kind of like, you know, oh, well, I didn't want to get the victory like that. He played that kind of baby face. Um, and then later in the show, we'll mention, to me, it didn't really make much sense to have Scott Hall walk out with Nash when Nash was acting like, you know, exactly. I, didn't want, I didn't want Hall to do that. So you, you kind of see the cracks right here. I think they're starting to kind of – the wheels are starting to come off. They're not quite there. They're still getting huge ratings. And, and you know, the undercard, like I said, was great. But the main event was starting to get a little bit stale. And when they took the belt off Goldberg, it wasn't like I was against it. It was re I, mean, I was ready for the streak to end. But then here we have a retired Hulk Hogan uh, in story. You know, right, right. Position himself back into the main event. So we start out here. We're at the Georgia Dome. They've built this entire show for a couple of weeks now. Goldberg and Nash, the return match from Starcade. I thought, okay, well, this is how this is how they're going to get my interest back. I'm seeing a Starcade. Absolutely. And and the whole show, I'm thinking it's going to be Goldberg and Nash, Goldberg and Nash. I'm I'm excited about it. Uh, I want to see it. I'm like, how are they going to book themselves out of this? Um, so that that's kind of paint the picture. You know, that's that that's me as a fan, 15 year old fan, as a 36 year old fan. For you, you're a little bit you're you're kind of in the a little bit in the same boat, but you're also a very loyal. WCW fan. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I was, I, I, I paid, I mean, I would occasionally flip over to WWE, 
Right. But I was a, I mean, I, I'm a, I was a brand loyal guy because I grew up with Georgia Championship Wrestling, and and then you know, and then, then NWA that then became WCW, right. and uh, and and I was not yet reading the message boards and the rag sheets on the internet at this time. I was just simply going week to week. Didn't know all these backstories and all this kind of stuff. I didn't. I didn't at that time. I didn't know that Kevin Nash was booking. I didn't know about all the the heat behind. I was just. I was. I was going on the information I got from one show to the next to the next to the next. And so, I mean, I was just that old. School but as a fan, were you fan. a little tired of seeing? Uh, oh God, I hated it. And NWO. I was so frustrated because the NWO thing, and, and as again, in my from my point of view, it had run its course, and it was it was past time to do something else. You know, I I, I still vividly remember all the frustration that I would feel week after week after week. Sting's not in the picture very much anymore. You know, it turns out that's personal problems and all this other stuff, but. You know, you're every week. You're thinking, God, this is the week that Sting's going to come back, and and we're going and things and the, and the tables are going to turn. Mm-hmm. I was so frustrated because the NWO was always there to to spoil the end as far to you know to, to spoil the end of the show. Yeah, it, it felt like the same ending week after exactly. Week. NWA, NWO absolutely. Same idea, maybe a little different script, but and it was it was so frustrating, and that's why Goldberg got over as much as he did because we got new this, and fresh. We've got this guy, and no, he doesn't have the greatest move set, but he is a freaking beast. He's crushing people, and, and I loved it. I was I was super into it, and you know, and you're thinking, okay. He's got this streak going. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of into the streak, but I wasn't just like, oh, my God, we can't break this. We can't break this. We can't break this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hogan had gotten to the point that Hogan was almost, he'd almost turned into, and, and, and he always kind of had this aura, if you will, of kind of this cartoon character. Mm-hmm. But his overacting had gotten so stale and so bad and, well, let me tell you something, brother. Well, yeah, and I mean, and back, you know, when he first came on in the '80s, that was great. But this was this was 14 years after I, you know, after Hulk Hogan burst mm-hmm. onto the scene in the early '80s, and it's okay. Let's move on to something else. And now you've got Bischoff, who was a terrible actor, who's trying to be this hot shot, and he just reminds you of this. Oh, he was on camera way too much. It reminded me of when the McMahons were putting themselves on every segment. There, he he was the he was the the douchebag in high school or in college that you always just wanted to punch in the mouth. Yeah, because he had a much higher opinion of himself than he than he did than he deserved to. Oh, and uh, so I was I was really frustrated with all that. It didn't bother me so much that that Nash won the belt at Starcade. I didn't like the way it happened. Right. You know, I went back and I watched, I watched the, I watched, you know, when, when Goldberg beat Hogan to, to win the belt. And then I went and I watched Starcade and I watched that. And, you know, the whole Scott Hall, but what that did was it just reignited that whole NWO finding some way to win. And it went for whatever reason, it was different than, 
the horsemen cheating to win because, you know, guaranteed every year when it came to war games or whatever, the horsemen were going to get theirs. Dusty Rose and, yeah, Pete and all those NWA, guys. NWA. They were, they were going to lay an ass whooping on the horsemen at some point. Right. But that had not happened to the, to the NWO. Nobody had come in to set them straight. No. And, and, you know, if if All I would have felt a whole lot more off into the wolf pack, and then they absolutely, and it's just like, no, let's let's not make it. And and everybody and their brothers is getting into the NWO by this time. Oh yeah, and it was ridiculous. Yeah, you know, it wasn't just this tight knit little group of outsiders anymore. Everybody and their brother, and you never knew from one week to the next who was going to be in it, who wasn't, who they were going to turn on, who was going to you know come over or anything like that. And it was just, it, it just, it was taking over. As a, as a fan, it was, they were taking over my show. They were taking right. over my wrestling, and it pissed me off. Yeah. So had Nash won it outright, it would have been one thing. But for, you know, for the cattle prod and Hall and that cockiness and that ego, and again, not knowing who's booking or what else, you're just thinking, man, these guys have come in and they've just, they've taken over. Their egos are getting in the way. Bischoff's letting it because Bischoff's getting all this camera time. His ego's running away. Hogan's ego's running away. Nash, Hall, everybody's ego's running out of the way. Sting's kind of out of the picture. And, I mean, although Sting was in Wolfpack, but he, I mean, you know, he doesn't make an appearance in any of this. No. And so it was just the, the level of frustration that I felt. I find, I find it difficult to even put into words. Yeah, I was frustrated as a fan, too. It just felt very repetitive. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into this show. It's January 4th, 1999. We had over 40,000 fans on hand at the Georgia Dome. So all 40,000 were told that it would be Goldberg and Nash. Absolutely. Card subject to change. Sure. Well, that's, but that's there every time. Yeah. So uh, we get into this uh, Nitro party. Uh, to begin it, and this poor fan has a sign up for Goldberg, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the only Goldberg action he's really going to get is towards the end and several segments at a police station. Right. So uh, we'll jump into the first match. We have Hugh Morris taking on Glacier. Uh, this, this gave me an eye roll. Yeah, I was never. I hated Glacier. What a gimmick. Hated it. Great was, guy. Great guy is is making a ton of money in the Indies right now. Um, yep. Cool to see in the Indies and everything. But at the time, it did not fit the narrative. Um, being in 1999, fans were kind of growing out of the whole Mortal Kombat phase and the whole cartoonish characters. So he just didn't really fit, you know? If he well, came around him, in the 80s, maybe. They but, gave him such a buildup in the early 90s when he came on the scene. Yeah. Uh, you know, that he was just going to be this great, great. And I mean, I bought into that. We all bought into that. But then when you actually see him in the ring, he was, he was awful. And yeah. so I, I hated to just see the fact that he was on the card to hear his name introduced. I was like, this match is going to suck. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, at least you got Hugh Morris, which, which as a, you can know, move around great for a big, absolutely. Game. You know, you're just hoping he's going to do a backflip off the top rope. So you can see some big, huge dude doing that which was unheard of other than, you know, Bam Bam Bigelow. Right, so. yeah. And he's on the show as well. But right. this was a pretty short match, pretty short and sweet. That's what I have wrote down. Uh, Hugh Morris is going to pick up the win with a moonsault. 
And that's not much to say about this. There's no story building up to this. This is just kind of reintroducing Hugh Morris and giving right. him a slight push. Um, okay, and then we're going to go into a Ric Flair segment. Uh, the video package uh, shows Ric Flair defeating Eric Bischoff to right. gain control of WCW uh, at the previous Nitro. Of course, Flair had lost to Eric Bischoff at Starcade. Another right. freaking eye roll for me. Uh, right. I just uh, Eric Bischoff beating Ric Flair at Starcade. That's the, that's the craziest thing in the world. And but I mean, it generated heat. I, I sure don't know where they were coming from with it, and you know, Ric Flair ended up getting getting his um, revenge, I guess, so to speak, uh, on Nitro and gained um, control of WCW. Um, and that gives the fans hope that, mm -hmm. you know, now we've got, we've got somebody that knows this business, you know, and no, we knew, you know, we knew that Bischoff's still running and everything, but you're thinking maybe this storyline is to finally start to, to right the ship and bring things back to the wrestling yeah, that it should be. I was excited as a fan. To oh, absolutely. Control and WCW get something back to where NWO just wasn't like on top all the time. Right. Um, and Flair's going to come out with the Horsemen and his family, uh, along with David Flair, and a young Charlotte Flair actually yep. comes out. Yep. So if you want to check it out on the WWE Network and follow along with us, or just check it out in your own free time, uh, it's pretty crazy to see Charlotte Flair come out on Nitro. Um, he calls out Bischoff, puts Bischoff at the broadcast booth. Right. Uh, Bischoff not happy about this at all. And doesn't really speak for most of the broadcast. He kind of just which was so cool. great. Yeah, I loved it too. I had Tony and them picking on him. Uh, I enjoyed that a lot. Absolutely. Um, uh, Flair also rehires Randy Anderson uh, after a recap of Bischoff firing Randy Anderson. Uh, right. His cancer is brought up. I knew Randy Anderson. He's actually really good friends with. Um, a man that my uh, grandmother dated for, for years. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. He gave me uh, several autographs and, and, uh, he always kind of kept it kayfabe around me as well, even though I, you know, I knew it was real at the time. Oh, Pee Wee was but, awesome. Man. Yeah. I, I yeah. loved him. Um, so yeah, Pee Wee Anderson, he's kind of always a referee, him and Nick Patrick, when I think of WCW. He's the Earl Hefner of WCW. Right. Excellent segment. Of course, Flair, always good, great on the mic. Um, very passionate, and that's pretty much going to end that segment. Uh, unless you have something else wrote down, that's kind of the only thing no. I wrote down. No, I'm good. Okay, and then we're going to get to the Booker T match. Very, very short. For some reason, I don't have wrote down who Booker T faced this night, but he ends up getting the win with the missile drop kick, and right. that's pretty much all you need to know. I know it was a very, very short match. I don't even know it was some jobber. We'll just say that. <laughs> Booker T beats some jobber. Right. Um, okay, and then uh, we go to Chavo Guerrero Jr. taking on Norman Smiley. Decent match. Uh, I don't know what the story is behind this. Uh, Norm, they're both comedy characters. I do know that from watching it. Uh, Chavo's going to get the win, and he celebrates uh, with uh, Pepe, his... His uh, what do you what do you call those? It's like it's a it's a stick with a horse on the uh, head on the end. I mean, basically, it's a, it's it's just it's a it's a it's a hobby horse or a stick. Horse. Yeah, a stick horse, whatever you want to call it. Uh, silliness. 
Uh, Chavo, like I said, gets a, uh, gets the win, but then gets attacked by Norman Smiley, who um, Norman was big time over with the big wiggle, which... Oh, God, yes. I don't know what the big wiggle is. It's his... Um, it's hard to describe. You just I almost have to see it. I'm going to try to describe it because... Oh, no, by all means, go ahead. I wasn't trying to stop you. This might get a couple of laughs. Uh, it, it, it appears that he is uh, having sex from behind and, and slapping uh, his uh, his lady friend from behind. Oh, uh, yeah. That's the only way to really describe it. And if you're not a wrestling fan and you just happen to be listening to this and you're probably saying, what the fuck, right about now. Just go look at it. Then you'll understand. <laughs> Um, all right, we'll get to this segment before we take a little quick commercial break. NWO comes out uh, with Horace, or yeah, Horace Hogan. Um, I, I didn't even know Horace Hogan was in the NWO. He NWO. He comes yeah. out to face Chris Benoit, which I thoroughly enjoyed this match. It was pretty quick, but right. I just enjoy watching Chris Benoit beat the shit out of people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just his, his chops are just so nasty. And being that it's Hogan's nephew, it just made it that much more enjoyable. Absolutely it did. Yeah. And, and so not much to say here. Chris Wall, like I said, gets the win. Horseman looking strong on this episode. Um, and when we get back from commercial break, we'll go over Goldberg getting confronted by the cops. Stay tuned to the Old School Podcast. terrible that was bad boy that have to been near the top of my list and again you have to understand my history and where i come from and uh to i mean i remember it being a huge house and no matter how you slice it and dice it the fans that were there let alone the fans that watch when you replayed it had to really feel that they got cheated there's heat and then there's heat and that wasn't even heat. It was disgust. Whew. That was awful. <laughs> that was absolutely awful. That was, you know, you wait for a great, you get a great buildup and you get a fart. I like it. I like that. Because that, you know, I mean, I don't follow it because it's really sometimes pretty brutal but when you look on all the websites and you know you hear the gossip and we all love it there's more than just the match you know and um you know when somebody does something like that it's a power play it's what you don't know behind the scenes you know and that goes a long way because it's just like winning a belt you know what i mean aside from your athletic ability it really tells you you know what kind of respect you have, where you are in the company, how people view you. Um, so, you know, it's all-encompassing. So something like that would really stir it up. It's a good power play. I love that. That's horrible. You're totally cheating the fans. They're not out there. They're not paying to see that. They're really not. That, that's bad. Not a big fan of the way uh, that company did anything around that time. None of it made sense. Think about it. Did any of it make sense? That's to me. That's ridiculous. You know, chest poke a guy that's six foot eight, three hundred pounds, and he just falls like that. It's ridiculous. They were trying to prove a point other ways. 
strong point, trying to prove, prove a point that they're the bosses of the business and they can control everything and make it happen. Well, if they're doing an angle out of it, it could, you know, you know, and I don't know what the whole situation behind it is, but if that was part of the angle to do that, to build it up for something bigger, then it was the greatest thing in the world. But if they were doing it for a joke and to kill the territory, then that's terrible. That's not what it's all about. Was there a list of 100 possibles and this was narrowed? Because the first two right now are the shits. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, if I were to sit there and watch that and see Kevin Nash, which is legit, seven foot tall, 300-something pounds, and pretty jacked, and Hogan poke somebody and they fall down, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say, beep. <laughs> oh, yeah, bullshit. There's a list of uh, millions of bad ones, but yeah, the poke in the chest and go down was bad, or Hogan losing to uh, Billy Kidman was bad. I mean, here's Billy Kidman, he's 165 pounds, Hogan's, yeah, brother, 300 biggest arms in the world, brother. Okay, that was pretty bad. You know what? I've never really been a big fan of Hulk Hogan's work or Kevin Nash's at that. And actually, when I watch Kevin Nash, now, or in recent times, actually the only thing I'm looking for when I see look at Kevin Nash come to the ring and work in the ring is I just want to look at him and, and evaluate his ego. And that's all, because I know Kevin Nash. You know, I know his capabilities, and I know where his head's at. I've traveled down the road many, many miles with him, and uh, all I'm doing is looking at Kevin Nash and saying, whoa. Has his ego subsided or has it inflated? That's all I'm looking for, Sam. And Hogan, you know, yesterday's news, you know, I don't care. I don't care about Hogan. This is not personal, but Hulk and Kevin, both of whom I've worked with extensively, both whom I would regard as friends, tendency a lot of times is to not look beyond themselves and and because of the positions that I've held in the length of time in the business my my first train of thought when I look at any situation is the big picture and 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 the impact on the business as a whole not on what it's going to do to that one individual and most times if you look at things that way don't look at it from an individual standpoint and what they're either going to gain or appear to gain uh, it kind of helps you put things in proper perspective and do the right thing all right welcome back to the old school podcast uh i've got my co-host here the professor andrew stone next andrew we have goldberg being confronted by the cops uh at this point i'm like oh shit the match is going to be off they've they've uh found another way to fuck us over um, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, you know, protesting that he didn't do anything, uh, but that doesn't matter. He's still arrested and, uh, it appears at this time that the match is off unless he can get back for the main event. What did you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know that I was, I was quite that negative about it. I mean, you know, yeah, it was, it was something else to get in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, and, uh, the, the acting in this whole little bit was was god awful. Um, yeah. You know, trying to either rely on Goldberg to carry it or those or those cops to carry it, and, and neither one of them really did that. But I mean, that aside, I think I was still 
you know, thinking that, yeah, there, you know, this is a way to just build up some more intensity and some more anxiety over everything. But, but he's, you know, somehow he's going to figure this all out. He's going to be there. So I hadn't really, I hadn't really hit the, the point of desperation or, or frustration yet over something, right. you know, that they were screwing us over out of, out of anything yet. Yeah, I was already starting to kind of sweat it out on that one. I was, uh, I was afraid WCW is going to be back to their old, uh, their old shit, and they were. So uh, let's get up to this next match, uh, which had a very odd finish. We had uh, Chris Jericho with Ralphus taking on Saturn. Um, now I know you're not a big Jericho fan. I was a huge Jericho fan at the time. I thought he was hilarious, uh, great heel. Um, of course, Jericho, not long after this, uh, decided to leave for the WWE. He, I think it was a little bit before this, he wanted to set up a feud with him and Bill Goldberg. It didn't work out. Um, Goldberg did not want to work with him. He didn't like his comedy and, and didn't care for his character and, and thought it would be bringing himself down to be feuding with Jericho. One of the reasons Jericho left WCW. And and the two of them had some legitimate heat with each other too. Right. Yeah, they got into a fight years later uh, in the WWE locker room. Right. With Jericho getting the best of them. Well, that was always my understanding of it. Yeah. Well, Jericho's going to take on Saturn here. Uh, Saturn is a very underrated performer, in my opinion, and I've I've never really <laughs> I've never understood why it just didn't click for a lot of people, but. I thought Saturn was a, an outstanding worker, uh, but for some reason, uh, uh, even though the, both these guys are great, this match just didn't feel right. It uh, it was clunky at times, and the finish was was bizarre. Um, okay, we have uh, Jericho. He gets a low blow when the referee is down from a bump right. to pick against Saturn, and then he hits the lion salt, uh, and then performs the walls of Jericho and. At this point, I thought he tapped out because the bell was being rang it while he was in the walls of Jericho. But apparently, the ref was DQing Saturn, and they they had mentioned something about how the ref didn't get along with Saturn. I don't recall this angle at all. Yeah, uh, I don't either. Yeah, and then later on in the in the uh, show, Jericho's talking to the ref and tells him, you know, before and this is something that was filmed before the match that they just now shown. Uh, just telling the ref, you know, don't put up with his crap anymore and, you know, do what you got to do. Be extra strict if you have to. So obviously something they have thought about doing a story uh, with Saturn and this ref, apparently. But it just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess it fizzled out because it was nothing that I remembered. Right. Right. And, and, and yeah, and I don't know. I mean, Saturn was a good, was definitely a good performer. I don't know why he never really got more over than he did. I don't know. And I, I don't know if they just didn't know what to do with him because he, he didn't really have mic skills necessarily. Right. Um, you know, they already had a, they already had a kind of the, the dumb, really good athlete that didn't, that wasn't really good on the mic. And that was Rick, Rick Steiner. And so, yeah, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Well, Maybe they didn't have suplexes like Steiner, man. Those. Oh, absolutely. Like the guy was a great worker. I mean, yeah. I thought he, I thought he was a great, great performer. Yeah. Um, Sorry, yeah. this match didn't. Yeah, and it had a very odd finish. Was not a good match. Um, 
All right, we'll get into the next segment, which was the Nitro Party. Uh, the fans were screaming for Goldberg. Uh, little do they know that they're not probably going to get him. Um, I think they then asked one fan um, if he's uh, if he's you know mad about Goldberg going to jail, and the guy says, "No, I wanted him to go to jail." So that was. Oh, yeah, he knows he knows <laughs> if that guy had too much beer or, yeah. or what. You well, know, there's just no telling. NWO for life. That's what it was. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right, and then we get another segment at the police station. More bullshit from Miss Elizabeth and Goldberg. Um, terrible, terrible acting is what I have wrote down here. Um, there's really not much to say about this. Uh, if you go back and watch it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Right, right. Yeah, it's pretty bad. All right, uh, then the next segment, we get a terrible stereotype promo from the LWO including low riders and ponchos, uh, right. pools out in the front, uh, guys drinking forties. Uh, and that will lead us to our next match, which was probably the best match of the night. And that's Billy Kidman, Ray Mysterio, who took on the LWO's psychosis and Juventud Guerrero outstanding match, man. This is something that still holds up to this day and still a standard that hasn't been met uh, since the WCW Cruiserweight division. No, no argument at all. I, I think that, uh, you know, you and I, we, we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. uh, their Cruiserweight division was, was unrivaled. Yeah. And as I know you believe, I, I think that still holds true today. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, I know, I know. Kidman's taken some heat from fans over the years, but but I, I love Billy Kidman, and uh, yeah, I thought he was a tremendous athlete. You know, he was a, he was a phenomenal uh, mid Carter, he's phenomenal cruiserweight. I mean, all four of those guys were. Yeah, and, you know, and, and again, it, it and I think they 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 tarnished the the that that whole division somewhat with this with the introduction of this whole LWO it's like and again it just adds to that whole frustration that i had with at some point who's going to be left in the original WCW to you know we've got we're breaking out into so many factions the the NWO and the Wolf Pack and the LWO and what you know and my i remember yeah. my thought process, process being well, what's going to be the next group that splits off, and and how many times are we going to beat this dead horse? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't understand. I mean, I, I see what you're saying there, and when you have somebody like a psychosis and Juventud Guerrero, uh, I don't know if you necessarily you want to put them in a stable where they're just faceless guys almost. Exactly. Yeah, and it, it just it leaves nothing left for the WCW. Um, well, I mean, it did wonders for Eddie. In Eddie's right. career, but I don't, but I don't know that it did. It didn't do very much. I don't think for it these. did much for Eddie's career. I think he was already all, well on his way. Um, I, I guess it gave him something, you know. I, I mean, they weren't really at points in his career. They they dropped the ball on Eddie Guerrero. They weren't really doing much with him. Right. Well, I'll say this: it just it gave him it gave him a, an even greater chance to shine. I mean, right. yeah, you know, this wasn't his push. He he was already. He was already over the top. I mean, everybody already knew what kind of a what kind of a performer he was. So, right. so that wasn't it. But I just think that they they lost the ability to really, you know, it was and whatever whatever this means. And I, I certainly don't mean this to to come across in any kind of bad way. But you know, the they, these other guys needed an opportunity to separate themselves from just being oh here's 
the luchador style. They, they needed the opportunity to, to, to bring themselves out as individual characters, and I think lumping them in this LWO hurt, hurt that if it did anything. Yeah, it, it wasn't very entertaining either. Um, we're going to move on to the next segment, which saw Kevin Nash come out, um, and he gets his thoughts on what happened to Goldberg and who's behind the Goldberg getting arrested, um, and then pretty much puts the blame on Hulk Hogan, like maybe he set Miss Elizabeth up to... Um, uh, I don't know what they're trying to indicate. Did he did he sexually harass Miss Elizabeth? I guess I think that did. I think there. I think it was some sort of a like a like a almost like a sexual attack. Like you know he um, he scared him. Yeah, maybe who knows? And he came uh, with the jackhammer. Uh, yeah, well there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right. Um, so uh, Nash is going to go ahead and challenge Hogan. And uh, the next segment sees Hogan come out and accepts the challenge. Right. Right. All right. And then uh, after that, we're going to go to commercial break where we get the big line from Tony Schiavone uh, where he talks about Mick Foley winning the belt on Raw. Don't turn the channel. That's already been taped. He used to wrestle here as Cactus Jack. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, but then here I have a direct quote. That'll put some butts in their seats. So a uh, very sarcastic comment. Right. Um, this was, um, of course, um, brought on by Eric Bischoff. I think he's the one who ordered um, Shivani to, to release the results. It's always been my understanding that, yeah, it was Bischoff's thing. Right, and and Foley wasn't too happy about it for years. He actually had called Tony Schiavone, and Schiavone just put the blame on uh, Bischoff. <laughs> and, I, and I, honestly, I think that I, I don't think Schiavone came up with that on his own. I, no, I think Schiavone was, I think Schiavone was classier than that. Yeah, and that'll lead us to our first break. We'll uh, get comments from Eric Bischoff. What he was thinking? Did he regret it? Uh, did Schiavone do it on his own, or did? Eric Bischoff, you know, directly tell him to uh, release the raw, raw results. All right, when we get back from the commercial break, we'll review the rest of the show. This is the Old School Podcast. This takes us to one of the most infamous moments in the history of the Monday Night Wars. And a lot of people argue maybe the turning point. Tony says, fans, as Hollywood Hogan walks away and you look at this 40,000 plus on hand, if you're even thinking about changing the channel to our competition, fans do not. Because we understand that Mick Foley, who wrestled here once as Cactus Jack, is going to win their world title. Huh, that's going to put some butts in the seats. And as soon as Tony said that, about 600,000 people changed the channel. Just so they could see the title change. Now, Tony says in years since, you fed him the line. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but can you defend this? Nope. Okay. I did it. It's my judgment. And I'm not trying to defend it. I'll explain it. Sure. But in, in the explanation, I'm not trying to defend it. I want to make that really clear. I get it. My modus operandi, operandi, at that time, or prior to that, I should say, what got Nitro on the map, what, get us, what got us to the point where we were beating 
WWE and we'd gone from where we were to where we were where we were where we started to what we had become in 97 and 98 was the fact that I did stupid shit like that from giving away finishes to jump starting the show a couple minutes early just doing things that people never expected me to do that they would talk about the next day like oh my god you believe he did that 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 tactic worked more often than it didn't Unfortunately, this time it really didn't in a big way. But that was the that was the rationale behind it. But obviously, it, it didn't work, and I can't defend it. It was a poor choice. So you regret that one? I don't regret anything, man. It's so easy to to look back and say, "Oh, if I wouldn't have done this, or if I would have done that." But again, that's hindsight. Right. You know, none of us have that when we're in the middle of doing it. You know, the people that criticize this kind of stuff, and I get it. It's okay. You know, we're making money right now. We're having fun. You know, looking back and critiquing, and you busting my balls, and I'm I'm up for it. I'm up, you know I'm up for the challenge. I enjoy it too. But for me, and I know I say this a lot, context is king. If you're in the middle of that fight, you're in the middle of that war. You're going to make choices. You're going to make decisions, creatively and business wise. And anybody that's ever said, you know, I've never made a bad creative choice, or I've never made a bad tactical choice, has never been paid to do it for a living. You know, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. And this was a, this was a perfect example. But I never regret making mistakes like this. I learned from it. And it, by the way, I see Mick Foley on a regular basis, and I do some things in the ring, in the ring with with Mick, you know, at independent shows. And every time I do, he uses that as the good guy, bad guy premise for him and I. Every time I see him, he tells that story over and over again. So if nothing else, I've given a gift that Mick Foley will cherish for the rest of his freaking life. Well, Mick was pretty upset when he heard Tony say it. He thought they were friends, and it upset him to the point that he even called Tony and said that it sickened him to hear him say that. And when they finally did talk, uh, Tony blamed you. Um, did you ever have a conversation with Tony about that call with Mick? I mean, I know in your sense you've talked to Mick, but what was your conversation like with Tony after he said, uh, so Foley called? I wasn't hot. Sure. I can remember. Um, you know, Tony would have a better recollection of it than I would because to me it wasn't a big deal. To me right. it was just business, just like giving away the fin giving away the finishes and jump starting the shows. I, I just... It just didn't register on my emotional scale in one way, shape, or form. And I didn't consider Mick. You know, I had worked with Mick in WCW. I knew Mick. Um, I, you know, I, Mick decided to leave WCW because I didn't want him to do all the crazy shit that Mick wanted to do to get himself over. So when Mick left WCW, and I didn't want him to go, I just didn't want him throwing himself off freaking balconies either because of the liability involved. <laughs> You know, I mean, seriously, it's laughable in a way, but that's what he was into. He felt like in order to get his character over, he had to do the most bizarre shit anybody had ever seen. And, you know, he had lost an ear in the ring, for crying out loud. He had done some damage to himself, and I was legitimately concerned. But once he made the move to WWE, it's not like I had, a, you know, any kind of relationship with him. So, yeah, uh, I heard about it. I knew it. You know, I found out later it upset Nick. And knowing Mick now, like I do, I really can understand why it upset him because he's a very sensitive guy. 
especially if, you know, he thought Tony was Tony's idea. I could really understand it, knowing Mick more now than I did then. But I wasn't mad at Tony. After um, Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell do a promo, brings Conan out, eventually Conan Alright, we're back on the old school podcast. Just got Eric Bischoff's thoughts on the entire matter on his show, 83 Weeks. Check that out on all you know, all platforms. I was on uh, Spotify, but uh, really great show. Um, let's get back to our show, though, and talk about the next matchup, which saw Scott Steiner, the television champion, coming out and challenging Conan. Now, I know you weren't really a Conan fan, but my God, he was fucking crazy over. The fans went absolutely nuts when he came out. I had forgotten how over he was at one point. Um, I don't I don't know what it is. I think for fans around my age, he dressed like people did when, when I was younger. So he was able to kind of uh, uh, catch a younger viewer's eye more. And the way he spoke, and he's, you know, Mr. Cool and everything like that. Um, But his wrestling ability, which has always been decent, he's had some really, he's had some good matches with guys here and there, but never that great. So my interest level was super high for this match. Like, anytime you get two guys who are somewhat clunky in the ring, at this right. point in their careers, it just always fascinates me because it's like it's like watching the car wreck, you know? Like, oh, you just can't turn away, right? Right, right. And it was sloppy. That's what I wrote down. Sloppy but satisfying matchup. Uh, enjoyed it. Uh, who? Let me see here. Uh, okay, so I'm looking at Scott Steiner get the win. I don't even have that wrote down. I want to say it was a... Uh... <clears throat> No, I got it wrote down here on the side. But Buff Bagel comes in uh, with a belt and misses Conan. It's just a DQ finish. Uh, right. They double-teamed Conan. Uh, that's pretty much it. They get the heat on Conan. The fans are going crazy. Uh, I want to throw out that I cannot stand Buff Bagwell. I don't know. I think we throw away heat. I really do. You know, and... I, up until the point that he joined the NWO, I, I really I, I liked Bagwell. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked the, I liked the look that he brought in. I liked him and Scotty Riggs as the American males. You know, back in back in that <laughs> damn time. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, yeah, it was it was yeah. campy. Yeah, but I, I just again, my one of my biggest problems with the NWO was just. The, all the overacting that was done. Hogan was such a terrible overactor, and, and it just—I I don't know. It just—I don't know. It just there, there was no sense of, of realness about it. Everybody was just—and and I know they were trying to play off this whole, you know, we're the schoolyard bullies, and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was just maybe that just kind of mixed in with my frustration with them and, and the fact that I felt like, you know, this whole NWO thing was never going to end. Uh, I think it was just this whole big conglomeration of, of, of feelings and, and emotions that I had. Uh, but, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm not, I was not as big of a, of a, of a Bagwell fan by this point as, as I was back when he was a face. 
Yeah, and Scott Steiner was losing a little bit of favor from me, who I was always a huge fan, not simply because he turned heel. I actually liked his heel turn uh, and, and his gimmick and everything, too. It, it fit the time. Um, but at the same time, he was getting so big that he couldn't hardly move as good as he used to in the ring. Right. So, right. so but, you know, like I said, sloppy but satisfying on this match. Um, uh, the ending, of course, shit. So uh, we'll move right on to Raft versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, we get a terrible promo from Adam Baum at the beginning of it. That would be right. Raft. Um, and that's pretty much it. The the match ends up double count out. These two guys are going to feud all the way to sold out. Um, or sold out. Uh, it was... <sighs> I don't know. Uh, something about this guy, Raft, he just never really clicked. Like, he just he had a great look. He's terrible. Well, I don't want to say terrible in the ring. He was decent in the ring. Uh, but his but his mic skills, it's just, he's right. kind of a cliff note on uh, wrestling history. And I'm a Bam Bam Bigelow fan. I think Bam Bam Bigelow should have just oh. stomped a mud hole on his ass. Absolutely. And I'm not going to argue with that. And, you know, and and I, you almost get the feeling with this show that, that, they didn't really have it scripted out real well. No, it, it put together. Well, I mean, because you look at some of the timelines on some of these matches, and they're just, I mean, we had, there were four or five matches that didn't go hardly four minutes. And, and, and it's almost like that they were backstage trying to figure out, okay, well, tell them to wrestle for a few minutes longer, or okay, let's go ahead and pull the DQ because we got to have well, enough time. That's exactly how it was. It was just, you know, it was it wasn't organized. It was very chaotic at times, and in the back, and nobody, there was no captain to the ship, is how I right. Was, and, it, and it really, yeah, and and it it hurt the it it hurt the product in in a major way. And again, that was that was that led. I think I know it led to my frustration. I can only imagine it led to a lot of other fans' frustrations because, I mean, my lord, you got you got Bam Bam Bigelow in there. We all knew what a what a big star Scott Steiner had been. Why are we Why are we rushing through these matches and you know and and not not it's having them finishes? It's throughout show the their ability of WCW. Even sometimes in NWA, occasionally, um, but WCW throughout their history, they've always shit the bed as far as finishes and right. finishes for storylines and finishes for matches. Um, especially, I would say during this era, it was probably the worst. I would, I would. Agree it with just that. kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, okay, our next segment is going to have Miss Elizabeth. Of course, part of the Me Too movement before there was a Me Too movement. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible story, bad acting is what I have wrote down yet again. Miss Elizabeth yes. not known for her mic skills. What the fuck is exactly what I have wrote down? No, and you're—I mean, you know, Miss Elizabeth basically had one, one ability, one emotion, and that was always a worried, scared emotion. Right. Yeah, every now and then you'd see her be happy if somebody won something, but all the rest of the time she looked nervous. She always looked uncomfortable walking down the aisle with with a crowd around her, mm-hmm. like she was too shy to do it. And, right, and, and then she always overplayed this worried look, and she never really knew how to do it. 
Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it was, she was, I mean, yeah, she was eye candy. There's no doubt about it. Right. But, but she was just, she was just always a very awkward performer. And the cops kind of figure out that she's lied about all this and they're letting Goldberg make it, make his way back to the building, try to get there, uh, to bust up this main event so he can get a shot at the title. Right. So the next match, DDP takes on Brian Adams, not the singer, talking about Crush and the other 100 gimmicks that he's played. Um, this was a, I'll say this was a decent match just because of the crowd reaction, uh, which made the match better. Uh, sure. DDP, of course, is going to go over, and he is big time over with the crowd at this point. Um, were you ever a DDP fan? And I was, especially during this time period. I, I've, I, I was never a big fan of his when he was when he was a manager. That, yeah. Again, that that character was just way over the top, and it was obnoxious. He had like nerves. thirty gimmicks on him, you know. Yeah, exactly. Too, too busy, too much going on there. But but when he started wrestling, and especially at this time, and you know, he was he was one of the ones that you know that he never went over to the NWO. He was. He was, you know, which and this this was the period that really allowed him to to get over, you know, to kind of to kind of be another baby face in the absence of, you know, in, in Sting's big long absence or mm-hmm. you know, and his few mysterious appearances and all that, and, and and I think he and Goldberg were two of the ones that we that we leaned on during this time to be our to be our good guys to you know hopefully as campy as this sounds to kind of be our saviors over the NWO. So yeah, I was, I was a, I was a big, uh, DVP fan at this time. Yeah. I think the turning point for me was when he was about to join the NWO, gave Scott Hall the diamond cutter and then sent Kevin Nash over the top row, ran into the right. crowd. He was saying, no, I know everybody's joining y'all right now, but no, thanks. I'm good on my own. I, I dug the character more. He, he quit being so flashy with his attire. He was just like, um, just a hardworking worker. He's just a right. workhorse almost. And, and, and how appropriate was it for Diamond Dallas Page, who had been the manager for the Diamond Stud, to put the Diamond Cutter on the former Diamond Stud? That was yeah, that, that was, was awesome. poetry. Is Never what thought was. about that. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, because he came in with Nash and and Hall, and that's why they they had kind of played to that like well right. you know we're already friends join the nwo so right. yeah i mean he was just massively over at the time uh that diamond cutter was was big time over i remember people at school doing the diamond cutter symbol i mean you gotta think this is the time where you weren't embarrassed to say you were a wrestling fan it no, was, and you're right it was yeah, popular sure absolutely and and i probably even did it a few times on the softball field i know i screamed like stain you know, in church league softball oh, several yeah. times. So, um, yeah. well, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, 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 again, I was, I was a DDP fan at this time and I, I was pleased to see, um, him doing some good stuff. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get on to this next match, which was the main event. Mm. What we're all here for the Nash versus Hogan. Now I'm excited. These two guys have not really touched yet. They've always teased it. You have the the uh, leader of the NWO White or Hollywood or whatever you want to call it, and then the NWO Wolfpack, Kevin Nash. And I'm like, okay, so this guy books. This guy has creative control over his contract. 
this, this is interesting. Let's see what happens right here. Hey, again, just like a fart in church. Oh, absolutely. Big turd in the punch bowl here. Finger poke of doom. Nash takes the biggest bump of his career. Hogan makes the cover. And the NWO is reformed. Now, we've talked about this before. This was supposed to set up Goldberg right, uh, to come back and make a comeback and run through the entire NWO uh, to get to Hogan and win the belt back. Of course, uh, Goldberg ended up getting hurt. This story then kind of went to shit and thus began more and more bullshit uh, after. And, it, you know, it was just kind of the snowball effect. I, I believe after this. Now, I don't believe that this is the reason why WCW went out of business. I don't believe no. it's the start of the reason why WCW went out of business. But do I? Do, if this would have been executed, it would have made more sense. But when Goldberg got hurt, this right here, as a fan at the time, I didn't know what their plans were. All I knew was I was seeing the same shit happen for the last exactly. two and a half years where Hogan gets the fucking belt back yep. in 1999 by placing his finger on an opponent. Yep. It was a way to book themselves out of this corner. Sure, sure it was. And, you know, and, and, and I've said this, I, I, I wasn't paying attention to message boards and, and dirt sheets and, and all that kind of stuff at this point. I was just a fan going from week to week to week. And right. so I didn't, you know, I didn't know what the backstory was about, you know, what their plans were to do with Goldberg after this. Uh, I didn't follow that. Yeah. But I just In saw... hindsight, it's not that bad. For, to no, I, 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 I get it and I understand it. I just know that at the time, like you, I had been ending, I mean, since mid 96 when you know i was i was jacked when the outsiders came in and when they right. originally formed this nwo but then it just seemed like more of the same every week they're they're getting over on everybody we never you know when when the horsemen were the, the thing back in the day back in the 80s and early 90s right. you always knew that at some point the horsemen were going to get what was coming to them Oh, they, it, it never failed to happen. They were always going to get beat down. They always, and that had, that was not happening with the NWO. Yeah. And, and that just, that frustrated me as a fan. I, I, you know, and I'd gotten used to that pattern and, and that was, but that, but that's, that's, that's the, the beauty of wrestling is you've got heels and you've got baby faces and the heels cheat and the heels went out, but then the baby faces always come back and they always, the, you know, it's it's good versus evil. It's the white hats versus the black hats. It's every western that you've ever watched. It's every war movie that you've ever watched. It's whatever you know, every kid's cartoon or whatever. Yeah. It all it all comes out in the end. The good guys always win in the end. Right. And the, and the NWO as a as a as a as a decent decently involved fan. That's what I saw is that the NWO was not allowed. And, and, and personally, I blame that on Hogan's ego. I blame that on Nash's ego. I blame that on the idiocy of Eric Bischoff and his ego with him getting involved and being more and more on camera every freaking week. Yeah, it was like the McMahon. It's just like the McMahon's. 
and, and it was just oh absolutely and, and it was it was terrible and, and you know had had we had that roller coaster ride of of them being up and then them being put down and then finding a way to come back and and all that kind of stuff then then it would have been okay but it was just this was just two years of them the same shit and yep. it was it was incredibly frustrating and so i i was i wanted to buy in to Kevin Nash and the NWO Wolfpack, and I wanted to buy, I wanted to believe that he was, you know, if, if Goldberg couldn't be there, that he was going to put Hogan in his place. I so wanted to believe that. Yeah. That, you know, we're going we're to see this redemption finally. Mm-hmm. And then when it didn't happen, um, you know, and, and I would encourage everybody, and I hope they're going to go back and they're going to look at, at this, you know, three-minute clip that you can find all over YouTube about the finger death finger poke of doom and, and you look at the faces of the crowd yeah there's some of those guys in their nwo shirts and they're going nuts because oh great i you know i'm gonna go home and you know spend some time in the bathroom with my vaseline or whatever because hogan's back on top oh yeah you, but, you've always got those hogan marks absolutely you do <clears throat> but but but, the, but you look at the reaction to so many of the people in the crowd, and I was doing that exact same thing at home. I was screaming at the television. I was so pissed off. Yeah. Because I was yet again, they like, snatched the rug out from under our feet. Right. I turned it to Raw. Raw had the better show that night, um, in my views, with Mick Foley winning the title from The Rock. And I just had enough at that point. Um, I, th- I don't even know. I think I tuned in to Nitro the next week, but I mean, it, it was, I was slowly gravitating more towards WWE to the point where I didn't even hardly watch Nitro towards the end of Nitro's run. It was that hard for me to watch. I wrote it out to the what? bitter end. I, I don't, I, I was just, you I was such the, uh, cruiserweight a, tag titles. Yeah, I would, yeah, I was just oh. such a loyal old school Georgia championship wrestling WCW guy God, and I, I, I just uh, I just that eternal optimist within me always pulling for the underdog always hoping that something good's going to happen and, and I wrote it out to the bitter end and I, I and then after that and we talked about this before I walked away from wrestling for years after that I refused to watch um the WWF, WWE, for yeah, years and there, there's a ton of people that. just like you that and have still never came back. If you look at some of the ratings, the 5.0s, the 5.5s, right. you know, and now WWE's hovering around, you know, three point whatever, and sometimes even a lot lower than that. Um, they have lost uh, a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think AEW, you know, just trying to get some of those guys or some of those that crowd back. Right. Um, but we got to take a quick break. We're going to hear from what Hulk Hogan had to say about the finger poke of doom. And we're also going to hear what Kevin Nash has to say about it. Cool. Cool. All right. We're listening, or you're listening to the Old School Podcast with Professor Andrew Stone. Finger poke of doom. A lot of fans and critics think that that incident began the demise of WCW. Uh, how did it come about, like the finger poke of doom, and do you think it was 
partly or in more than partly responsible for the beginning of the end of WCW? Are we talking about like your finger poke on finger poke on Nash? Nash. Yeah. That whole thing. That whole thing was just spin off, vile, just just negative, toxic waste from Russo mm-hmm. at the time. Russo wanted to get rid of everybody that was 40 years old. He didn't want anybody in the company that was 40. He wanted to go with the young blood, you know, and he just can't get rid of the, you know, the, you know, I don't even know how old The Rock is now. Is around 40 yet? I don't even know how old he is, 38, 37. You just can't get rid of guys when they're in their prime and the wrestling fans don't care how old you are. You know, they, they, they love being entertained and they love their stars and, you know, then you'd have to get rid of Vince McMahon too. Yeah. You know, he's one of the greatest heels in the business. He is the greatest heel in the business as far as I'm concerned. There's nobody better than him as far as a heel goes. Babyface wise, eh, but a heel, he's the best there yeah. is. You know, so that was kind of like, it, it just, it, the whole thing just went bad. It went guys were showing up going hey yo man buzzkill i don't want to wrestle you know, i didn't bring my gear huh you didn't bring your wrestling gear remember scott hall telling me he didn't bring his gear i'd rather talk than wrestle hogan you're a buzzkill you know that whole attitude yeah. you know it was it was it was all the above you know eric was on then eric was off eric was in the wrestling mode and then he was in the scott hall kevin nash mode you know i was in the wrestling mode then i was influenced by people and then it just it just got it happened so fast that we really didn't know enough about the business then to take care of it. You know, I think looking back on hindsight being 2020, I think I'd be in a place now where I could handle that success so quickly. I think none of us were really ready for it. And the finger point of doom and stuff like that was the beginning of the demise. Yeah. You know, and then it just kept going. I laid down for Sting somewhere, Halloween Havoc or something in Vegas. And it just, it just kept going. It was a pissing contest between yeah. Russo and, you know, he didn't like wrestling and he didn't want to write for wrestling and he didn't want old guys around. And then there were us who believed in the art form and got into a, a pissing contest. And it, it probably was the beginning of the demise because from that point on, nobody thought business. Yeah. Everybody's... Whoever had the biggest thing or the biggest ego, you know, that's what it was all about. It was horrible. It was a bad time. I mean, the finger poke of doom, people fucking will always, but you know what? That's one of those things that got everybody. Every smart, the smarts hate the worst because I fucking they, every one of them were just bending over because I told them, no, the dollar bill's a little bit further. And I stuck my whole foot up their ass and took their balls in with it. They just went, oh, I didn't see that coming. So they want to be swerved, but they don't like it no. when they get swerved. They don't want to be swerved and watch their mom raped on the Thanksgiving table at the same time. <laughs> It's a little bit too much of a swerve, brother. I forget who said this, but it's a but it, it's a great quote. Someone, please Google it so I can give credit by the end. If you make people artistically, if you make people think they're thinking, they love you. If you make people think, they hate you. Right. Um, you'll find the relevance. Just look for it. Uh, Welcome back to the Old School Podcast. 
Uh, right now, we're going to read off some comments that were left on the page, uh, Elite Marks page. If you'd like to join the Elite Marks page, look us up on Facebook, Elite Marks. Very easy to look up. And send us an invite. We'll, uh, we'll let you right in. Uh, we're a little bit different than your normal wrestling page, anywhere from polls to podcasts like this one. Uh, of course, we... We talk about uh, Georgia indie wrestling and some of the big talents around here. And, of course, every once in a while, we'll talk about Andrew Stone's good buddy, Gary Lamb. Boo. <laughs> All right, let's get to the uh, the first question here. All right, it's from Andrew Stencil. The worst shoot in wrestling history, they being petty and it really sucks. I don't know. I, a shoot is probably something different in his uh, in his views, but a shoot is like when something's real, Andrew. Right. Um, so right. I, I don't think that's exactly he, what he means. I, mean, no. I just, but but by the same token, I mean I understand what he's saying because uh, again, I, I go back to my my own mindset is that I, you know this was I could I, I in my mind this was something that that. Nash and Hall and Hogan and Bischoff had concocted, and they were just—they were just their egos were just going crazy, and, yeah. and the, you know, ha ha ha, this is what we're going to do. We're just, you know, we're 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 in this spot. We're at the top of the game, and we're not going to let anybody else in. Okay, uh, Gary Lamb from Gary World writes, "I didn't hate it actually. Hogan's the leader of the NWO." And this showed that by, he showed this by Nash knowing his role. I never understood the outrage over the storyline. Yeah, I mean that's what happens when you know when we let children in where, the, where it should only be adults. Um, <laughs> he's uh, come on, Gary Lane. He doesn't have a damn clue what he's talking about. He he just he says shit to piss me off. I know he wrote that just to piss me off. Because that's just what he, that's what he lives for, is to try and make himself look smart, try and make himself, you know, look like he knows what he's talking about when he doesn't have a freaking clue. And, and I mean, in all seriousness. And, and just so everybody knows, Gary and I are great friends. We've been great friends for many, many, many years. Um, but, you know, I, I get what he's saying. I understand that. <laughs> in, 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 in an ordinary... Again, had, had, we, had we been sticking with the pattern of of heels getting over and then faces getting over and then heels getting over and then faces it was time for a over, change. Anyway. It, it would, yeah. It, then, then I, I would buy into that. But the f simple fact that for two years we had the NWO was was ruling and running everything, then no. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really agree. I respectfully uh, don't yeah. agree with that. All right. Uh, Nick McDaniel from the Top uh, Tapped Out Podcast writes, It wasn't as bad as history says. The reason it lives in history is that it went head-to-head -head with Mankind slash Foley winning the WWF title and Shivani giving it away due to it being pre-taped. When he did, that 600,000 people flipped over and never went back. The momentous shift is why it is remembered so negatively. Thoughts? I, 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 again, I understand what he's saying. I, I understand that point, and I can respect that. 
but I don't think that's 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 not it in in its entirety. Um, yeah, I, certainly part of those six hundred thousand people. Um, you know, I, I think that they they probably didn't think it was that big of a deal. But for those of us, and I, and I'll always go back to this, and I'm just like I'm, I'm ringing the same gong here again. Mm-hmm. But for those of us that were that were lifelong Georgia Championship WCW fans, it, it, it was a huge deal. This this was a major, um, yeah, to event. It was a major happening in, yeah. in the life. And no, was it the single cause of, of WCW going the way that it did? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But I, you can't ignore the fact that it was a big part of it. This is this was just another instance in this whole prolonged yeah. mess of the NWO that. And the NWO was brilliant. Well, it was I think, a phenomenal I think idea. Russo it just did, it uh, went on too long. Right. And I think Vince Russo did a ton of damage. Don't get me wrong. I oh, think dear that, God. Yes, he did. You know, he... <laughs> I, I don't know. we got to do an episode on one of I those, mean, I, you uh, know, we can point to... Day. We can point to David Arquette. We can point to David Flair. We can point to Bischoff being in, in entirely too many matches. Mm-hmm. We can point to any number of things that that you know were, were yeah part there were of several it. things yeah i mean it with with turner uh or with aol buying time warner and the merger um that hurt wcw a lot too and then when it was starting to bleed more and more money millions and millions of dollars um it was time for them just to to dump them at that right. time when they didn't have any television um when they didn't have any a television deal uh, you know, nobody wanted them. The tape library was kind of worthless at the time, and right. you know, and uh, WWE just swooped right in there and and bought them uh, for nothing, really. Well, that's true, very true. All right, we'll move on to our next comment. We have Paul Phoenix. He says, "I thought it was funny as hell. My homeboys were pissed off, yelling and cussing at the TV, and pissed my girl off for waking her up. I'll never forget that night." They were more mad than I was after the Montreal screw job. Oh, it still stings. I was mad at that too, Paul. <laughs> I know you were. Oh, uh, man. See, that's your kryptonite. I, I, I get that. I yeah. understand. Paul, uh, uh, I understand. Uh, that's that's pretty funny, though. Um, waking your girl up like that. Man. You know, and I would again, be kicking my buddies out. Get the hell out of here. Well, and, and for a... And for, uh, uh, a large portion of, of wrestle fans that 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 were that had cut their teeth on the WWF, I, I can see his point, and I can absolutely understand that, and I can absolutely agree with that. But there was an older generation that that we didn't. Yes, we knew we knew all the characters in WWF, and we watched it some. But my primary place on Monday night was on TNT watching Nitro. That, that was always my number one and I would flip over occasionally to to WWF to see what was going on there. But I was, there you go. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I understand. I don't have any argument with what he's saying. I get that. Alright, we'll move on to Mason Dixon. He writes, he was supposed to be so Goldberg had to run through the NWO. But then he got hurt. I hated it when it happened, but the laydown Jerry did for Hogan was epic. 
He let the world know how much that was BS. Uh, I think he's referring to Bash at the Beach uh, a couple years later where right. uh, because of Hogan's politics, Vince Russo had uh, Jeff Jarrett just lay down in the middle of the ring. That right, right there was the that was the fucking kiss of death. When they did that, I, I mean, as a fan, when I heard about this, I was just like, oh my God, is this real? Is this, you know, yeah. I, I, it was, and it wasn't, but then he went too far and just started really just bashing Hogan and Hogan's ego really swelled at the time. And I think Hogan ended up suing him for decimation of character, if I'm not Probably. mistaken. Probably. I, I would, that wouldn't yeah. surprise me a bit. Absolutely buried him to the uh, live audience of Bash at the Beach. But that's a uh, another show for another time. Uh, that will conclude our comments. Uh, so, Professor Stone, what grade are you going to give the Finger Poke of Doom, January 3rd, 1999 episode of Monday Night Nitro? A big old fat F. Yeah. I'm not a professor, but I would have to give it an F as well. Um, There's, I mean, from a, from a technical standpoint, from a storyline standpoint, from a, a performance standpoint, from uh, an audience satisfaction standpoint, um, from where are we going to go next standpoint, they, they failed on all fronts. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, of course, they, they didn't know Goldberg was going to get hurt. Well, no. So I see, I see, but man, oh man. And then they, and then with Shivani announcing that WWE, or uh, that Mick Foley was going to win the WWF title. Oh man, people switched over and you got to win them back, but they weren't able to win them back because it was you know, because of what they did. I think, you know, if you're a fan and you just saw something fresh like Mick Foley winning the title, you never thought Mick Foley would win the WWF title, and he finally got over on The Rock. <sighs> and then you see this shit on Nitro, and as a 15-year-old kid, I'm like, man, I am so tired right. of this same old NWO shit and Hogan going over. My whole life has been, you know, Hogan's on top as a face in WWE, then he's on top in WCW. Hogan's a tremendous talent. I'm not trying to bury Hogan here. But there comes a time where it's time to push the guys like Perry Saturn or Jericho or Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, um, you know, and Goldberg, to their credit, is about the only one that they were able to make as far as new talent. Well, yeah. And even with that, though, I mean, look at look at what they were able to do ten years before this. When you've got Flair, who's who holds who, who had to go over for so time. long, but he he made Sting. Mm-hmm. That 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 start date match with Sting is what introduced. I mean, is and then. And then, Barry Wyndham, Lex Luger, but, Terry. But that's just it. We were able to, even though even though Flair wore the belt more than anybody else during that time period, there were still big names that were doing great things. And that was Sting, and that was Luger, and that was the Steiners, and that was the Road Warriors, and that was, and, and, and the list just goes on. It was Rick yeah. Steamboat. And, and we had Rick Rude at this time, and we had Mike Rotunda, and, and we had all these other guys. And they were all, and, and, and everybody could share in the pie. Is that, right. is that People can say whatever they want to about Ric Flair, 
But anytime, even in the midst of his jet flying, kiss stealing, and all that kind of stuff, he would always go out of his way to say, these are the best athletes. He always put himself on the top of that. But he always made sure that he included the entire company when he was talking about how good the, the business was, when he was talking about how good the organization was. He made sure that, that everybody else got, got a piece of that pie. I dare somebody to find Hogan doing that. Yeah, and I mean, history will show. I mean, Flair's put a ton of people over. Sure he did. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, so yeah, Finger Poke of Doom, terrible, terrible show. Um, I still have a hole in my soul because yeah. of that, still to this day. <laughs> uh, what should we do for our next show? We're going to try to do a show every month. Um, starting in February, I'll be going to the Dapper Gentleman, uh, the cigar shop of Andrew Stone, and we'll be recording the podcast there. So if you'd like to be a guest on the Old School Podcast, shoot me a PM and we'll get it set up. Just know a tolerance for cigar smoke is a must, though, if you're coming. That's just it. Exactly. And who would you uh, who would you like to who's who's some guests you would like to see oh, on the Old School Podcast? I'd, I'd love to get I'd love to get Rodney Weston here. I'd love to get uh, let's get you know let's get Nick Dunn in. Let's get Logan Frazier. Logan Frazier. Let's get Jared McGee in. I, I don't care. Hell, if we could, I I might even you know give Gary Lamb a, a cigar. I might even give him a couple of dollars for gas if he drive his sorry ass up here and just to be on the show. He would ask you for gas money. Oh, of course he would. <laughs> of course he would. <laughs> But but uh, I, I yeah. mean I would I would love to do a show with I, I, I and honestly I don't care any of them. I, I I I love I love this group it's it's this group has reinvigorated me in a in a huge way um, back into back into being a a, a wrestling fan and, and trying to watch more and keep up with the storylines and and all that kind of stuff and so I give this group a big a lot of credit and um, I'm really really grateful for for this organization and you know, for this page. Yeah, and, and and I give you a lot of credit for that, Trey, because you know I've known your dad for years, and then you know you and I just by chance met at, at Wrestle Jam several years ago. Woo, probably, and then we became friends, we became buddies, and I've been part of the you know the wrestling marks, and so um, let's just the the more the merrier, man. But I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll chew on a little bit. I'll be in touch with you, and we'll throw up a poll here pretty soon, and and maybe we want to go in a new direction, and you know maybe do some more stuff into the nineties, um, you know some of the later stuff. Yeah, and I still like doing the stuff in the eighties. We'll just oh, we'll I'll absolutely because I love watching those shows. That's when it was it was great. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. That'll do it for the old school podcast. Uh, I appreciate Professor Stone for being on here, and we'll see you guys next time. Later, guys. See you guys.